What's up, everybody? Second edition of the RVA Spotlight. I have with me on the show today Ashley Hawkins. Ashley Hawkins is the executive director of Studio 23, a co-working art space in Scott's edition. You know her. You've heard about her. Listen to her take on why she started um, Studio 23, how she has been and plans to connect more with the community and get her take on how kids can be life ready. Tune in. Welcome everybody to this edition of the After Ed podcast. This is our new segment called RVA Spotlight where we are really highlighting individuals from the Richmond metro area. Today I have Ashley Hawkins with me. Ashley is the executive director of Studio 23. Ashley, thank you for being on the show. Sure, thanks for having me. All right, so just for those that don't know already, tell us about Studio 23. Sure. So Studio 23 is a 501c3 nonprofit art organization, um, and our mission is to help people find that thing they love and make it. Um, and we do that by providing studio access, education, and tools for production. So we're located in Scott's Edition in Richmond, and uh, our newly kind of re tooled warehouse space. Um, it's about 13,000 square feet with our recent expansion. And in that space, we have 31 private studios, a communal print shop, a black and white dark room, a computer lab, um, letterpress, screen printing, relief printing, etching, um, bookmaking, a big event space for nonprofit groups, private events and classes, and then a retail store as well that sells um, all handmade items that are made here at Studio 23 either by us um, as staff, interns, and volunteers or by the artists working in the studio. So we have about 105 artists who have 24-7 access to this space and are coming in and making um, some or all of their livelihood through making art, making books, doing uh, graphic novels, illustrations, um, all across the board. So we started in 2009 with four women in a 600-square-foot room and have grown consistently ever since, and our community is expanding um, almost every day now. I love it. And for those of you that haven't checked out the space that are in the area, um, it's just amazing. Everything that I've looked at online that you guys have and everything you just said, it really is cool. And I got to say, the co-working space has to be a a critical component of everything. But why is that so important to uh, kind of the feel, the vibe that you're trying to create there? Yeah, so... um You know, back to our origin days in 2009, we were um, four graduates of um, VCU Arts in painting and printmaking and had really fallen in love with print and with the power of print to disseminate information, to create, you know, empowering materials, to create beautiful fine art objects, Um, but there was nowhere to do that outside of the university that was affordable and that worked with our schedules as, you know, emerging artists working multiple jobs, coming in late at night to make work. 
so we decided to create that space. Um, and print making is so rooted in equipment. You know, there's there's large equipment, there's heavy equipment, there's expensive equipment. Um, and so typically and traditionally print shops have been communal democratic spaces for people to work alongside one another, sharing equipment, and then also sharing tips, tricks, resources, as well as connecting on a very human level. So, you know, starting from a print shop, growing into a much wider um, service organization, but at the root of it is still that human connection, that community, that, you know, spark of interest, of new projects, of engagement that happens when you're working alongside somebody in a shared space. That's such a a great piece right there at the end, and, and that's a perfect segue. That's the feeling that I got. Uh, when I walked into uh, the depot building at VCU Arts, we partnered with their Center for Creative Economy this past year, uh, and we basically uh, we just we knew that we had to get the kids down there in that space because uh, just something about being um, being in an open area like that uh, it does it just breeds collaboration, and we wanted to provide that for our kids. Yes, it's really. Um it's incredible to see the connections that are made, to see the businesses that are formed, the ideas that come out of it. And, you know, that's really any organization, any enterprise is comprised of human beings, right? So we are obviously a space, we're obviously a resource, but we're also the collective work and impact of every single person that comes here and makes something um, or has a meeting or shares, you know, resources within the space. So there's that human element, that sense of freedom to collaborate, to convene, to build community that gives people the strength and the courage and the excitement and the passion to do whatever it is that they love and, you know, and to make that thing. So I think that's, um, it's such a critical part of this organization. And I think of, of places where people truly feel empowered to create and to collaborate and to convene. All right. So we know that creativity is a huge component of, of overall happiness. Um, but uh, VCU Arts, we wouldn't have modified their venture creation certificate um, had there not been some truth to the starving artist myth. So uh, their venture creation certificate is a two-year program that basically lets them, you know, kind of hone their craft and also be profitable. So in RVA in 2018, is the starving artist still a myth or a reality? I think you know, I think that there, there are a couple of, of problematic areas that we still have a lot of work to address, and it's, you know, the doing things for exposure um, as for emerging artists and young artists. Uh, their time is often devalued, um, and they feel a challenge in asserting their worth and the value of their time. Um, I also think that many artists who, you know, decide to pursue a degree in fine arts end up in the nonprofit world and in the nonprofit world we still have a struggle with competitive pay and with the myth that nonprofit employees should be underpaid um, and the reality is the resources are scarce it's difficult to raise funds to generate funds to compete with the for-profit sector for sure um, but I think that that is 
work that we all collectively have to do. I will say I'm seeing so many artists run their hustle and make a living um, in all or at least in part from the work that they're making with their hands or designing or creating. Um, And I think that that keeping access to the means of production as inexpensive as possible is really the way that we see ourselves supporting artists in their creative careers. So, you know, I have a good friend who became a studio member here who's a mother of two who got a book deal to write um, There Is No Handbook, the handbook on mothering, and was able to have a studio space here for a year with her book advance, come in and write in the middle of the night when her children were asleep and finish that book ahead of schedule and, you know, in excess of what the publisher was expecting. Another artist here just quit her day job to become a full-time painter, and I see her, you know, bringing galleries through on a daily basis, having shows all across the city. Um, so those are success stories that we're seeing here. And I think that the, the biggest reason for Studio 23 to exist is for that seriousness of creative production, of striving to be an artist either because your soul needs it or because that's what makes you happy and that's also how you're supporting yourself, your family, um, your your way of life yeah and you know for those listening i mean you're really not just talking about it you gave specific examples but i know that you were actually doing your part to help uh, creative people make a living as well and one of the things that you do there uh, is uh, a program called business for creative so could you tell some folks what that's all about sure yeah i I think there's um you said with with vcu there are, are increasing programs at the university level and with your students as well, where we are talking about creative entrepreneurship as a business pursuit. So anybody, by definition, who's trying to make art and sell it is an entrepreneur, is a business person. But there's not a lot of business acumen taught at the university level, and particularly not for self-trained artists. So we have been partnering with um, other local organizations, with business people, with lawyers, accountants, graphic designers, uh, freelance artists across the board um, to offer this program, which is business acumen for creative entrepreneurs. So they're short, um, either single session classes in how to file an LLC or how to license your artwork or do you need an attorney? Um, Day-long conferences, which are, um, we've had several. One is called To Market, which is basically creating um, your brand and your items for sale in you know, a market environment, whether it be in real life or an online platform like Etsy. And then we also had a Grant-O-Rama session, which is grant writing for individual artists, as well as um, a large proportion of the uh, attendees were nonprofit arts organization employees for small nonprofits. And then coming up, we have a, a class called Budgets and Business Planning Without the Pain. So how to do a simple budget, do you need QuickBooks? Can you use Google Sheets? Um, and what what does a budget look like if you are talking to a grant funder versus a bank versus an investor? And these are all you know just fluency topics that we all need to have as creative entrepreneurs, and we're hoping to do that in a way that's easy and palatable, and then immediately actionable for artists. That's really great. So. 
normally what the podcast is about is focusing on uh, kind of how people's work affects education. And while you're not uh, directly tied to, tied to you know, K-12 public schools, I know that you do a ton of work with schools in the area. So would you just share some of the things that you've done and maybe are planning to do with schools in the future? Yeah, so we have a few different means of collaboration with schools. Um, we have on-site field trips here um, where students come and do screen printing or bookmaking or letterpress printing, relief printing. Um, and those are typically a couple three-hour-long sessions with you know up to 60 students at a time. Um, and then we have more in-depth collaborative programming with schools that typically focuses around our mobile print truck. So it looks like an ice cream truck, but it's basically a print shop on wheels and we can take it directly to schools. And the idea behind this was schools have crazy schedules, budgets are tight, getting a bunch of kids on a bus is you know, a difficult proposition any day of the week. Um, so we thought, well, why don't we just bring it to the schools? Um, so last week we did a collaborative workshop with Henrico High School where we went with our truck and the students had spent a couple months working with an artist named Brooke Inman to design icon- iconography and a, um, to represent the data set of every student in the school how they got to school and where they went on campus. And they chose shoes as representations of these data sets. So over the span of the week, every student at Henrico High School held a squeegee, created a screen print, and printed enough shoes to represent every student on campus. Um, And then we installed this with the kids on a large mural. It's eight by 20 feet, which will then go back to school and be hung between their two cafeterias. So it was for the students, by the students, their idea, their printing, their final project. Um, And that's really where we're seeing the richness and the potential and the spark for kids to see themselves as successful artists, as people who could make a living making something. and that also spills into partnerships with other nonprofit organizations. So our collaboration um, last summer was a performing statistics project, um, which is a, a program of Art 180, um, and it's working with incarcerated and formerly incarcerated youth to help end the youth to, the school to prison pipeline. So we worked with um, five teens who were either still incarcerated or had just been released over the span of three days. The first day. They came with pictures of themselves that they were proud of, that they liked, and a slogan that they wanted to work with. And they worked with a graphic designer from Studio 23 that full day designing what would go on to t-shirts, tote bags, um, I'm sorry, t-shirts, posters, and armbands. And the shirt I ended up with said, guide us, don't criminalize us. And so they made their designs, made their screens, and then... The teens printed 250 t-shirts, 1,000 armbands, 500-plus posters that were then taken and distributed to the community for a parade, a juvenile justice parade, a couple months later. So they got to create the content, have images that they were proud of, and then actually create them in multiples for a social justice campaign that they were working on to not only help them you know, be creative entrepreneurs themselves, but help other youth and children to avoid the school-to-prison pipeline and to end the dysfunction that we have in that system. So those programs are where, you know, we as artists feel 
like we were having the greatest community impact, that we were making a lasting impression on the kids and, you know, teens that we're working with. And, you know, those couple of days I had two kids who were going to go back to prison that afternoon say, okay, when I get out, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to be a t-shirt printer and I'm going to sell my shirts and that's going to be my job. And so those moments are like, okay, that's why we're here. Yes. No, I mean, it's just so powerful. And again, you know, guiding them down that path where you are giving back helping them become more self-aware and then just naturally uh, they want to do the same thing for people. Very powerful. Absolutely. So you mentioned working with Henrico High School specifically and one of the big things that we're trying to do within Henrico is prepare kids for what we've, we've created a hashtag life ready and so you know before we've we've always talked about getting kids college ready or getting kids work ready um, but what we're seeing of course is that that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're ready for life so uh, just in in your opinion based on your experience how do educators or really anyone working with kids get these students to become life ready in 2018 Wow, that is a, a really significant question, um, and I don't know that I have a full answer to it, but I think a really enormous part of it is respect, is meeting kids where they are as human beings and being genuine with them. You know, that's where, in these programs where we're able to work closely with kids and get to know them over a few days and know what they care about and what, you know, is most important to them and how they work and what methods of communication are most effective those are the programs where we feel like we're succeeding and where you know these couple days this week you know the six-week session whatever it looks like is going to stay with the people that we're working with and actually make a change in their life and so I think you know being genuine being you know on the level that the kids need you to be on and being a model for what they could be when they become adults and showing them other models, you know, that there's not one <laughs> that, you know, we've, you're bringing them into a space where many professional people, all ages, all levels, all different media are working and they actually get to be a part of that and then work within that space as professionals for the period of time that they're here. Um, I think that that's incredibly affirming and just shows them a path that they might not have been aware exists before coming into this space and seeing it for themselves. I love it. So you got through the easy questions, actually. I have 10 final questions that you have to answer as quickly as possible, and these are the hardest questions you'll ever answer. You ready? Okay. All right. First question, coffee, tea, or water? Coffee. Back roads or interstate? Interstate. By the fire or by the beach? By the beach. Go-to playlist on your phone? A gym workout playlist. Should we ask what's on it? Uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's also things I can listen to with my kids. So it's like Phoenix and MGMT and things that um, they can bounce around to in the car that also make me go faster at the gym. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Best concert you've ever been to? Oh, I don't go to many now. Um, probably a show with... Um, against me in 2016 all right three people you'd like to have dinner with that's a good one oprah ellen and 
been watching a lot of clips on the internet recently. Yeah. Um, who's the third person I would like? My my partner. I would like to have <laughs> a, a nice, quiet dinner with my partner and the father of my children without chaos going on all around us. Oh, wow. I know exactly what you're saying there. We've had that conversation before. All right, so look, you got everybody together. Where are you going to eat? Good choice. All right, look, last book that you've read, um, or you mentioned clips, last book or clip uh, that you actually suggested that someone else read or watch? I am a big proponent of Joan Gary's podcast, Nonprofits Are Messy. Um, so I'm telling everybody I know um, in the nonprofit sector to listen to that podcast and read articles from her website every week. Great. Okay, so I have kids that are getting ready to go, um, well, summer vacation, of course, but uh, when they're done, they're going to go to high school. Um, what advice would you give to a kid um, getting ready to start high school in just a few months? I would say it's not that serious. Uh, high school's hard, and I feel like it's really um, a time when you're making a lot of decisions and things are scary and stakes seem very high, but try to still be a kid and still have fun during those years that before you, you know, have to go into a full-on adult mode. So be a kid for as long as you can. I like that. Okay, final question. I know um, where I can find your work, um, but people that are interested in what you do, um, where can they find you and the work of Studio 23? Sure. So studio23.org is our website, and that's all spelled out, T-W-O-T-H-R-E-E. Uh, Instagram, also Studio 23, as well as Facebook. Uh, my personal site is ashleyehawkins.com, so that has my own work. And my personal Instagram, which is just a bunch of pictures of my kids' faces, is uh, smashleyrva. All right, Ashley Hawkins, Executive Director of Studio 23, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jason. All right. Hey, everybody. What's up? Jason Vest here from the After Ed Podcast. Look, we are growing. We are having amazing guests on, but we need you to subscribe. We need you to refer guests for the show. We need you to go and leave reviews only to help us get better and spread our message. If you love what you hear with the podcast, head on over to Twitter at Mr. Vest RVA. Instagram is the same name. Give me a shout out there as well. Also, if you want to check out what my students are doing from this innovation class that I always reference, check them out on the various social platforms at Innovate HC. That's the number eight, Innovate HC. Thank you guys. Enjoy your day.